Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Sanchez. At the Why Institute, we've helped over 40,000 people discover, make decisions, and connect using their why. This show will be much more powerful for you once you know your own why. So head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why. Today, you're going to meet one of the leaders who've discovered their why with us and is going to share their story and the powerful lessons they've learned. Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually helping you discover and then live your why. And so if you're a regular listener, you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys and then we bring on somebody with that why so you can see how their why has played out in their life. And so today we're going to be talking about the why of better way. So if your why is better way, then you are the ultimate innovator. You constantly seek better ways to do everything from the most mundane task of brushing your teeth to improving the rocket fuel that powers the space shuttle. You can't stop yourself. You take virtually anything and want to improve it, make it better, and share your improvements with the world. You invent things and take what has already been invented and improve that too. You constantly ask yourself questions. What if we tried this differently? What if we did this another way? What if we improved it? You, inc- you contribute to the world with better processes, better systems, and operate under the motto, often pleased, never satisfied. You are excellent at associating and taking from one industry or discipline and applying it to another, always with the aim of improving something. You generally operate with a high level of energy because after all, that too is a better way. And so today I've got a great guest for you. His name is George Bryant. He is a New York Times bestselling author, podcast host been one of the most highly sought after digital marketing consultants in the world to teach his relationships beats algorithms approach to business. He has helped hundreds of the largest companies in the world and thousands of entrepreneurs ethically scale their business by deepening their relationship with their customers and creating transformational breakthroughs that help them accomplish their goals. He believes the company's financial success is directly dependent on the amount of value they share before and after a purchase. Business is about relationships and touch points. The companies that put relationships before transactions will win. That is the relationships beat algorithms approach. And George, welcome to the podcast. So excited to be here, my friend. So excited. This is going to be fun. So let's start with the obvious. How did you get into this? Give us a little bit of your path, your journey. Where are you from? How did all this stuff happen? Because it's exciting. Yeah, we don't have a four and a half hour podcast. I'm going (laughs) to give everybody the dopamine hit of it, right? There was a better way. Let's just start with there. There was a better way, right? So I grew up in uh, outside of Boston, pretty broken childhood, uh, drug abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, social services, emancipations, Wow. You know, seven-year divorces, bullied, front teeth knocked out three times, nose broken twice. Uh, you name it, I, it wow. was it was there, and um, I knew at a very young age, and I don't know why. Like I used to say, I felt like I didn't belong. Um, I just knew that there was something different for me. Like I didn't go down the road of like, oh, I'm going to be an addict, or I'm okay with this, or I'm going to end up pumping gas. I was like, I can't stay here. And so I started working at like 11. I got a, I was a skate guard at the ice rink. So I got to, you know, be 12 years old and ice skate around and tell people to slow down while I went as fast as I wanted <laughs> under the table, of course. And I got paper routes. And, and really what it was is that, you know, the world that I grew up in, I had to support myself at a very young age. Um, you know, I had to feed myself. I didn't really have much support in anything. I lived in friends' basements, things like this. And so as I started to become aware of like what the world was like, um, you know, social services, having case studies, like my parents fighting, arresting each other, police involved, welfare checks. I was like, yeah, I don't want this at all. And I looked at my family and quite frankly, um, my entire family primarily were in that world. Like they lived in that world, alcoholics, drugs, like renters, never owned anything. And I was like, this is not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And um, so I worked and worked and worked three jobs in high school while going to high school. I didn't really go much to high school. It wasn't that I was a bad student. It's just, I wasn't a student. I just didn't go. I was like, I have to feed myself. Like I have to keep a roof over my head. I have to be able to pay my bills at 15, 16, 17. And so 
I had this bright idea at 17 that I needed to leave. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I was like, I'll join the Marine Corps. That'll be fun. Um, and so I tried to join the Marine Corps. I was uh, 55 pounds overweight. I was already struggling with eating disorders from the abuse. I was bullied. like, And so luckily I had this recruiter who not healthily, but helped me lose the weight. And I forged my parents' signature and joined the Marine Corps. So literally I graduated high school because my teachers knew they spited me and the best gift they could have ever given me. I missed like 130 days my senior year. Uh, and I wasn't there much anyways, but they knew the cops knew everything new. And I think they were like, kind of wrote me like a permission slip to have a chance. Mm-hmm. So I took off, went to boot camp, And then the, you know, the better way took over. Uh, I had a lot to prove uh, to myself, to the world. And, and it was, it was out of spite in the beginning, but I went to boot camp. I graduated honor graduate uh, out of 1200 people. Number one, Went to Marine combat training, graduated first out of like, you know, 800 people. Went to my job school, graduated first out of 50 people. Got to pick my first duty station, got to Cherry Point, North Carolina. And someone's like, we're, we need somebody to deploy. I'm like, I'll go. So I ended up in Somalia for 13 months uh, in 2004. And so I started this career in the military and really it was a career to run, right? I left one traumatic world to join one where I was rewarded for that behavior. Disconnection was great. No feelings were great. There was no pain. And so I just kept hiding and, and, and really I was avoiding addictions of substances and doing it with disconnection and feelings, right? I didn't know how to process my pain, my trauma. And so I joined the Marine Corps, uh, 2004, ended up in Somalia for 13 months, uh, 2005 ended up with a pretty horrific injury. Um, I got exercise induced compartment syndrome, almost lost my legs, ended up having six surgeries, spent 12 months in a wheelchair, gained hundred pounds, got addicted to opiates and narcotics suicidal, attempted suicide. Uh, my bulimia spiraled out of control. I was 260 pounds in a wheelchair at 5'7", and I was alone for basically 12 months living in a barracks room while you know, contemplating life. And so at some point, they were like, listen, you're going to get medically separated. Uh, and at that point, I was more scared of going back to nothing than I was of doing the work. And I was like, why? How can I? Like, if you can run a physical fitness test in the next 60 days, you can stay in. Like, mind you, I hadn't walked in like eight months. And so luckily, I was able to pass it bought me some time, stayed in, and it lit this fire of addiction to working out for me. Then I was like, here we go. Here's another one, right? Now I'm going the other way. I did triathlons, you know, was running, was lifting. Ended up in Afghanistan in 2010. Um, I did lose my dad to cancer in there, married and divorced in there, but it doesn't add to the story. 2010 in Afghanistan, at this point, I'm pretty high up in the Marine Corps. I'd been in for, you know, 10 years. I was a staff NCO. I had 55 Marines under me. And so I was rewarded for being a psycho. I got to work out three times a day. I got to be the leader by example. I got to hide my feelings and emotions. We end up in Afghanistan and I got pretty injured, uh, both emotionally and physically. I ended up getting seven concussions over the course of two years from, I got traumatic brain injury. Um, and then I lost 28 Marines total. Um, and then you know, and then when I got back, I, I actually witnessed three of them commit suicide. So all this kind of stacked up and added up. And so when I was in Afghanistan, I found CrossFit and paleo. And I was like, I need to take control of my life. I've lost my dad. I committed to never being like them, but here I am addicted to something else, disconnected, not feeling my feelings, pretending I have it all together. And that deployment really shifted something in me. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to cook. I'm going to take care of my body. I'm going to do the work that I need to do. I'm going to process this trauma. I'm going to do it all. So when I came home from Afghanistan, oh, I did tie a world record in Afghanistan though for a standing box jump. That was just a you know, fun little tidbit, you know, Mr. Extreme. Someone's like, how high can you jump? And we figured it out one day and I ended up tying the world record for a standing box jump at 57 inches. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, Google George Bryant box jump, it'll come up. And uh, that was just one of those, like, let me prove to you that I can do this. And so I came home. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to cook. So I started teaching myself how to cook and I knew I needed accountability, right? I'd never cooked before. I knew I was a binge eater. I had all these issues and I really wanted to beat them. I didn't want to tell anybody, but I was like, I can do this. So I was like, I'll just post my recipes on Facebook every day. So I had to make a fake Facebook account because I didn't have a college email. So I made a fake college email to get a Facebook account because it's like 2010. Uh, 2009, 2010. So I just posted recipes. And after a couple months, everyone's like, God, I really wish you had a blog. I'm like, what's a blog? Like, oh, it's like a website. So I set up blogger.com, moved my recipes over. And I was just posting everybody else's recipes that I was making and on this blog and I needed to name it. And I was like, oh, it's paleo recipes. So I, I named it civilized caveman cooking creations.blogspot.com because that's easy to remember. Yeah. And, um, and I, I kind of just continued that. And at that point, the Marine Corps said, hey, listen, we love you. It's been great, but you literally cannot deploy again and you'll die. You are 
broken, beat up, like, boom. Like, so we're going to medically separate you. Um, and so after 12 years, they were like, Hey, you have traumatic brain injury. You have bleeding on your brain, fluid on your brain. You have your legs, you can't walk, you can't feel them from the knee down. And this after they, you know, told me they would amputate them, but I made a full recovery. And then you're like, you have PTSD. And at that point, when we came back in the matter of two months, I had witnessed three suicides. And so it was kind of, I was gone. Like I was off my rocker. I was gone, gone, gone. And so I was like, all right. And I didn't know how long it was going to take. And so I buried myself in this business, right? And I was like, I'm posting every day. Well, turns out ended up being a good thing. And, um, you know, teaching myself how to cook, taught me how to heal my body, eat healthy foods, cut toxins out, learning about paleo. And then someone's like, Hey man, you know, you should have like an ebook. I'm like, what's an ebook? And they're like, take all your recipes and put them in an ebook. So I did. And I sent it to him and they're like, no, we wanted to pay you. I'm like, why would you pay me? They're free on my website. They're like, ah, oh, but it's convenient here. Put it on this website. It's 2011. So I then uploaded this thing to the website and they're like, tell everybody you did it. And I had been doing this for like six months now. And so I did. And I remember I made my monthly salary in day one and made like 5,200 bucks. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, this is broken. This isn't real. Like no idea. Right. And then they're like, no, no, no. Now tell everybody again, like blog about it, email it. I'm like, all right. And I made my yearly salary on day two. And then I was like, okay, I have no idea what this is, uh, but okay, I'll get out now. Like you can send me out. I'm fine. I didn't really want to be a Marine anymore. I was really tired, broken, depressed. And so I basically transitioned to becoming a food blogger. And uh, I did that 2010, 2011. And then by 2012, I had one of the largest paleo food blogs in the world. I posted every day. Um, and so I just kept doing this and doing this and doing this. And luckily at that point, I met my wife, uh, who is a, a saint, a goddess, a, you know, savior. She had been a hypnosis and NLP coach for 20 years, had done personal development for 20 years. And here I am like, I'm great, yet I haven't processed anything from my life. And so she was a really big shining light. And so I kept running this business and that was my stake into the entrepreneurial world. And so I ran the business, ended up getting about 2 million social media followers, 5 million people a month on my website wrote a cookbook that everyone said wouldn't make it on the list, except it was on the New York Times list for 22 weeks. And someone's like, you should launch an app. I taught myself how to launch an app, hit number one in the world, got featured by Apple's the top health app of 2015. And you know, the story continues because there's always a better way, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so that kind of continued. And then as that continued, my wife and I got married and we experienced a lot of pain and trauma caused by me. And I had to really start diving into the work. I had to like start healing my past and healing my trauma. I started with EMDR, then that led to breath work, then led that to, um, you know, plant medicine, MDMA assisted psychotherapy, trips to the jungle with shamans, like you name it, because I had, I had already been addicted to opiates. I'd been on 21 prescriptions. I had had nerve blocks. I had had Botox and like, I wanted something different. And so I made it my mission to find a better way to heal myself. And that started by loving myself. And so I went from synthetic to natural, to breath, to food, to mindset and all that stuff. And I basically engulfed myself in that world. And then my wife was eight months pregnant. We were about three weeks away from bankruptcy. And I was about as miserable as I come because that, that food business was me hiding in plain sight. And I knew that it wasn't for me. And so uh, I made a decision to walk away overnight. So I walked away, deleted social media, deleted 2 million fans, deleted an email list, deleted a website. And I walked away from a seven figure business because it wasn't aligned to who I was. And I knew it was keeping me stuck. And at that point, someone was like, man, you should really teach people what you've been doing. I'm like, why? I'm like, no, no, we need this. I'm like, okay. They're like, we'll pay you. I'm like, why would you pay me? Like, cause that information is valuable. And then that was the day I became a consultant. And so, uh, they're like, will you come do a keynote at my event? I was like, yeah, what's a keynote? They're like, oh, you give a talk. I'm like, what should I talk about? <laughs> so I just wrote down some notes. I went a couple weeks later, gave a talk and I gave this talk on how loving your customers and actually being in relationship with them would help you build and scale your business. And so 88 people in the audience, I give this talk and I got about 30 of them come up to me after, can I hire you? And I was like, for what? And like to teach us this. I'm like, sure. And my first client was actually men's health of all people. And so my consulting career started in that way. And um, I quickly became one of the highest paid digital marketing consultants in the world in about 18 months because I took everything I had self-taught for seven years 
I didn't have a marketing background. I didn't have a business background. I had a broken, wounded human that wanted to connect with other human background. And that's how I learned marketing. Everything I did was about people. How can I respond? How can I help you? Can I get on a call? What can I create for you? And so what I called an accident, I tell people I was successful because I was stupid. And I, I mean that in the best way. I had no preconceived notions of what it would look like. So all I knew is that the only way I would build a business is if that I put something out there, people received it, achieved the goal and had a relationship with me. And that became the premise of everything that I did. And so then these companies heard and they're like, let's try it. And then you start applying these principles to companies doing a million a month, 2 million a month. And they go from 2 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10 million. And I, over the course of three years, took over 300 companies in seven, eight, nine figure and two unicorns up into billion dollar status by this approach that I created and applying customer journey, psychology, um, you know, value, communication, and my definition of marketing to their businesses. And so that's kind of what's fast forward to me. And then now I sit here with a beautiful family, a wife, my children, uh, lots of horses. We got a couple pet snakes because my kids love snakes. And, uh, I own a couple businesses now. So I, I do consulting. I have a podcast. I have a diaper bag company where we uh, make tactile diaper bags for dads. I have a protein bar company where we empower women to live. And all of our companies donate 10% of gross back. So we get women out of abusive shelters and homes. We give 10% back to veterans. Um, I have a vitamin company called Vitamin Patch Club where you get to wear your vitamins. And we raise money for cystic fibrosis and things like that. And so now I get to use this skill set too. Uh, change the world by teaching people that relationships beat algorithms. And that is the shortest version I can give you, Gary. <laughs> That's an amazing story. And so those of you that are listening that, so right now I'm looking at George. So, uh, you know, he's got a sweatshirt on a tattoo sleeve. He's got the hat on backwards. He looks about, I don't know, 25 maybe, but based on that story, you've got to be about 80. Yeah. Yeah. My body, my body and my brain feel about a hundred, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the birth certificate says I'm 37 though. 37. So that is a, a lot to pack yeah. in, in a 37 year old, uh, life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it felt like, you know what the military felt like, you know, they say dog years, right? Like, you know, it's like six to one, like that's what the military feels like. It's like six years of age, growth and wisdom for every year that you're in. And I was in for 12 years, three combat deployments, you know, through all that fun stuff. And, and it really, really, um, I see it as a gift now, but at the time I, I didn't realize, but you know, those beautiful analogies, you know, like it takes pressure to cook an egg or, you know, create a diamond. And, and that's really what it was. And, and I do see it as a gift. And, mm. um, you know, one of the things that I think is so important, and by the way, like I'll publicly acknowledge you for what you do on your podcast. I think it's absolutely phenomenal and I can see your life's work in it. And I think it's a gift to humanity. So thank you for doing it. Thank you. Um, when I think about it, you know, and I think about my why being a better way, which has always kind of been my life is mine was born out of survival and reactivity. Right. And so for me, I learned a lot of skill sets as a child. And the way that I look at it is you can either use them to do good or you can use them to do evil. Right. And like, I could have gone down that road or I used it as a perspective shift of like, there has to be a different way. There has to be a different way. And then there was a point in my life where uh, the different way couldn't come from reactivity anymore. And there was this like two year period in my life where I lost the ability to be driven by external validation. And that was one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through because when you come from that and you go through that, you're like, I'll prove them, I'll prove them, I'll prove I'm good enough, right? I'll get into that core wound and I'll just show them and I'll just show them and I'll just show them. And you get to a point where you think that that's how you are. Like that's how you succeed. Like you need the pressure, you need to prove it, you need to do it. But really that's at the sacrifice of yourself or other people. And uh, what I loved is that my, I've always been a better way person, but my better way in the beginning was born out of insecurity and reactivity. And then there was that period and I still became a better way, but it shifted from for everybody else to myself and like understanding that this is a gift and that's how my brain's going to work and it's okay to do it, to make it better. And for me to be better and to call myself to greatness. And then, you know, the way that I say it now is my job every day is to build the best version of myself to give away as a gift to the world a gift to my family, to my kids and to the world. And, and when I look at like the life experiences that I've had, I wouldn't wish them on anybody, but I wouldn't wish them out of my life. Mm -hmm. And 
I think for years I looked at my better way as like, I'm going to show you there's a better way because of my ego. But now I look at it, I'm like, I'm going to create a better way because that's me building the best version of myself to give away to the world Mm. and to help people. And to, you know, like I want my headstone to say something that my kids are proud of. Right. And like, I don't want to be remembered for, you know, my bank account or how many businesses I built. I'm like, how many people felt like they mattered? Like how many people felt connected? seen, heard, and respected. And then how do I pass that on to my two children? And so, yeah, it's been really, really interesting for sure. That's the way that I'd say that one. Well, yeah. So let's think, let's talk about that for a minute, because there's going to be other better way people listening to this that are Mm -hmm. struggling with the exact same thing that you just talked about. So take us into that moment where you realized that it was not an external thing, but it needed to be an internal thing. What happened? Um, we were bankrupt. (laughs) We Uh lost two companies. Uh, and when I really needed it, there was nobody there. And the way that I would describe this was, uh, I had a personal development coach look at me and she said, we can feel your heart, but it doesn't do any good if there's trails of dead bodies behind you. Mm -hmm. And it was transactional. Right. And my better way was a way to stay disconnected from myself because I was afraid to feel right? Like I, I didn't know that the fastest path was through, right? Like bison and Buffalo got this game figured out. You go to Yellowstone, there's a storm coming. They turn towards it and walk straight through it. It's the shortest path every single time. Right. And here I was running zigzags in the opposite direction, you know, going seven States away thinking that I would actually eventually have to face the storm. And so for me, because, because of the life that I'd lived it took an extreme amount of outside pressure to create clarity for me. And I don't wish that on anybody, right? I'll take the easy button anytime now. Um, But it got to a point where I was in this chamber of like, everything is cracking. Everything is breaking. I'm losing everything. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids. There's no point in me being here. And I had to have a hard conversation with myself and Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to take my own life. I don't believe in that. And I've lost enough and I, I, I believe it. And I was like, so I have two choices. I either take this on or I just quit. And if I quit, I don't get my kids. I don't get my wife. And I ended up right where I said I never wanted to be. And I had to have that self-integrous, really deep check-in. And it wasn't an overnight thing. The awareness came overnight. And then what I got to fall in love with is I got to fall in love with myself no matter what it looked like. Was I overweight? Was I underweight? Was I happy? Was I sad? Was I depressed? Was I angry? But I got to learn the game of not making it wrong. And so, you know, like one of my business partners, he's a men's coach. He's been doing this for 20 years. And we talk about this all the time. I was like, hey, when it comes up, like, what are we doing? He's like, sit in it and sit in it and sit in it and sit in it and realize that it's temporary, right? Uh, Feelings are things that we can catch, but it doesn't mean we have to hold them, right? You don't have to attach a padlock and hang them onto your back, right? They come for a reason. And if you explore what that check engine light's for, then there's a path on the other side. And so the way that I put it into practice for me is that I realized that being with it, like just sitting can become a distraction at a point. I'm like, I'm always going to feel my feelings, but I have to set a timer. Like I have to have a container. And the moment I do, I'm going to move into something. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to do something, but I'm going to make sure that I completely feel it before I call, not that I avoid the feeling by calling first. And so it became this moment of just clarity where it doesn't shift overnight, but I say awareness is the finish line. Because when we're aware of what's happening, why it's happening, where it's happening, we then have the power to choose. And there are plenty of times I choose to not feel those feelings. I whip out my iPhone in the middle of the night and play on Facebook, right? Like I, I'm not I'm not absolved from this, right? But then I catch it and I'm like, oh, I'm doing it. Okay, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to do something different, right? And it mm-hmm. became this game of falling in love with this awareness without making myself wrong. No fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. And so there's a lot of self-love, self-forgiveness. Um, But I think the most important part for me, Gary, is that it was self. It wasn't external. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my kids. It was a, I really need to know who I am at the core. Like use Google Maps as an analogy here. People will tell me all day where they want to go. I want to go here. I want to go here. I want to go here. I said, cool. But if you hit start, it can't tell you how to get there until you know where you are. And I was like, that's the game that I had to play. I had spent so long running from who I was because I was pretending to be my results, not the person creating them. 
And so what I really needed to do is to be okay with myself. And so for everybody listening right now, like I run seven companies, I consult some of the biggest companies in the world. I have two kids. I only work about four hours a day and I spend about five hours a day in silence. So like I go to the gym at 3.30 in the morning, not because I like getting up early, but I like having three hours before the world wakes up. No music, no sound, just me and the weights me in the gym. I cry. I'll yell. I'll scream. I'll look like a gorilla in the mirror. I'll tell myself how much I love myself. I'll dance with myself. Right. But I just spend as much time as I can being in a relationship with the one person that no matter what I do, I can never get rid of. I can't divorce myself. I can't leave myself. Like it's me, it's me, myself and I. And so that's been one of the biggest secrets for me is not making it wrong. But like, if I feel sad, feel sad. If I feel happy, feel happy. And then make sure that like I'm feeling it for me and I'm experiencing it for me. And then when I'm on the other side or when I'm clear, I can go give that away or I can choose how I show up in the world. And that's what's been the biggest thing for me. Mm. Figuring out who you are. Yeah. So if you were to outline the steps for some, so I'm listening to this, me included, and I, and we want to say, okay, George, what are the steps to figuring out who you are? What did you go through? Uh, to figure that out? What would you say? Yeah. So step number one is that realize for me was realizing that I got to choose who I was moment to moment. It wasn't black and white. It wasn't a doctrine or a tattoo on me or my soul. It was moment to moment. And that was probably one of the most freeing things that I've ever had. And so like, there are times in my day where I'm like, I want to be alone right now. I want to be a miser right now. I want to be happy right now and not making it wrong. And so knowing that it's a moment to moment game. Uh, Number two was practice. And like, when I say practice, I meant, I used to say like, I'm going to spend a couple minutes alone every day. It was a challenge for me to sit alone for one minute with no phone, no book, like one minute felt hard. I probably tapped my pocket 10 times looking for my phone, right? Or like, should I turn a show on? Should I shit up? Or my leg would shake, right? And it's practice. It's just practice. Like I had 34 years of programming of distraction. It doesn't go away overnight, right? But I think it's practice and intentionality. And so what I tell people is like, set yourself up to win. Like you want to go run a marathon? Great. Don't go run it tomorrow, right? That's not going to end well for you. You're going to die on the finish line or if you even make it to the finish line, right? Like, but can you go for a five minute walk? Right. And so for me, I was like practice presence. And so I would just go for a five minute walk and I'm like, okay, no phone, no nothing. I'm just going for a walk. If I notice the squirrel, I notice the squirrel. If I stub my toe, I stub my toe. I'm just going for a five minute walk. And I just put myself in the space to win. So some people it's walking, some people it's sitting still, some people it's meditating, some people it's the sauna. I do it in my ice bath but it's being intentional about being in a relationship with yourself. And so set a container for yourself to whatever feels good to not put a container on it, to not have it look, I mean, put a container, but not have it look a certain way. Don't have an outcome, like literally go for one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, where the only outcome is that you're in that for the time. Like that's it. Nothing, nothing after the other. You don't do anything with it. You don't tell anybody about it. You know, if you have clarity, great, write it down. But the whole thing is just to be. And then the third part is when things come up, get them out, right? I had a shaman say this to me and this shaman said two things to me that I I don't think I can ever forget in my life. And uh, better way people have this a lot too because we'll see something and then we'll like hold it and use it for fuel. And like, sometimes it'll bother us. We'll get jaded. We're like, oh, right. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, George, he said, if it's coming up, it's coming out. Stop Mm -hmm. holding it in. And I was like, what? And like, I thought about it and I thought about the thousands of times a day I'm angry or I'm tagged or I'm happy. And I either don't express the happiness because I don't want to celebrate and think that there's a finish line or I don't say the anger because I'm like, oh, it's not going to happen. And he's like, all you're doing is holding on to poison and you're keeping it inside of yourself. And he's like, so it does have to say to somebody, write it down, say it in a voice note in your phone post it, share it, write on a napkin, burn it, get rid of it. And he's like, but if it's coming up, that's your check engine light. You got to get it out. Mm. And so what happens for me a lot is, you know, I choose every moment who I get to be, which requires some self-forgiveness. Like I slept in this morning. I was exhausted. I spent 12 hours yesterday consulting and I was like, oh, I'm tired. And I was like, okay, I'm choosing to sleep in. And then when I got up at five, which was sleeping in for me, I was like, I had a moment. I'm like, you could have gone to the gym at 3.30. You could. And I was like, stop. 
stop. And like, I had to sit there. I went over to the mirror again and I was like, you're, you forgive yourself. You love yourself. Go to the gym at 11. And like, I had to like actually do this. And then I go on my morning walk or my reflective time. And there's days, Gary, I go and I'm just like noticing the world. And there's days I have like low level anxiety. Like I can feel it in my body and I don't know what it is. And so I'll just ask myself like, what is it? And I'll just play with it. Like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And if I get it, great. When I'm done, I'll go get it out. And then I kind of move on with my day. But this simple practice, like I think for me and, and, and I'm speaking to better ways as myself, one of my traps is a better way is that I always assume it has to be a giant swing in the opposite direction. It has to be overcompensatory, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, a better way is big. It has to be noticed. And I was like, Oh, but you create a better way by the micro things that you do every day. Mm. Right. And then the better way is the culmination of those things. And so for me, it's like, okay, you can choose who you want to be in the moment. Give yourself the space to know yourself, whatever that looks like for you. It could be a car ride, just no music, right? Windows down, hair out in the breeze, right? Like whatever it is that I don't have any, I shave it off before I stress it off. Right. <laughs> and then number three is like, when it comes up, get it out. When it comes up, get it out. And like those three steps have been imperative for me. And the one secret I think that most people ignore is the power of breath, the power of breath, right? I'm a huge advocate for breath work and breathing, but not what people think, right? So there's a really good book for anybody um, listening to this. It's called Breath by James Nestor. It's absolutely amazing. We create a lot of anxiety in our lives uh, by not breathing correctly. We're a whole lot of mouth breathers and we've atrophied our mouth. But one of the things that I like to do, Gary, is that when I'm in these moments, right? Like I've accepted I can choose who I'd be in a moment. I need some alone time. If I'm in that alone time and I'm like, oh man, I have anxiety or whatever. I literally plug my nostril on one side. I breathe in for five and a half seconds and out for five and a half seconds. Then I switch. And that's it. Just one time. Guaranteed to go away. Guaranteed to go away. I use it throughout my day. I use it, you know, in meetings. I'll do it on flights. I'll do it on podcasts and I'm recording my own podcast. I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm in a little anxiety right now. Or I need to get grounded. I need to get present. Right. And so um, the optimum cadence of breathing for a human being is five and a half breaths per minute, five and a half breaths per minute, which is a 5.5 second inhale and a 5.5 second exhale. And so that's one of those presencing things that I use. So if you take that in your day, it's like your daily tool that you have at your disposal at any time, you know, replace your Instagram hit with breath, replace your Facebook hit with breath, right? Like get into you before you get into the world. That with those three things are like the biggest things that I could recommend anybody do. Wow. Love that. So when you're done with those three or four steps, so there, there was, you know, you get to choose who you are moment by moment. You practice being alone. When things come up, you, they get out. And then the power of breath. When you use those four things, where does that leave you? What is that? What's the difference before and after with that? Yeah. So it's the difference between reactive and proactive right? So before that, I'm reactive to the world, right? Like, oh, the world's hitting me. I need to do this. This is happening today. If I don't do this, I'm going to fail, right? Like the stress, the insurance, the traffic, the car, the job, the whatever. And on the other side of it, it's like, no, no, I get to choose. I get to choose, right? And then you're going to choose to go into, oh, I do have to handle the kids at school. Like I do have to get this done today. But the difference between victim and responsible and I'm choosing to do this before versus I have to do this is the practice required to be present. And, and like, listen, I do this work. I've been doing, I've probably invested over seven figures in my own emotional healing in the last 10 years. And I mean, I've done all of it. And it's really funny because if I could go back, all I would have to tell myself is awareness, forgiveness, and alone time. Like, that's it. That's what I paid for, right? It's probably spent a million and a half dollars figuring that out. And what gets me there is breath. That's it. Right. And so this happens throughout the day. Like, like my wife's horse almost died. We have a couple horses that almost died last week. Uh, And that my wife's had the horse for 19 years. Right. So when that phone call comes in and my wife's crying and I'm like, oh man, like anxiety, panic attack, like the Marine in me comes out, like, who was it? What is it? Where are you? Right. What do I got to do? And she needed me. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, but if I go out there in that energy, I'm just going to make it worse. And so on the car ride over, there was like 10 minutes. I did an entire round of breath work and I was there solid, structured, ready to go. But I had to process that out. And the, the difference is, is like, okay, no matter what the event is happening, no matter what I do, the event is happening. But the only way that I can find a better way or be aware of it or be an asset in that situation is to not allow myself to be a liability. 
Mm-hmm. And that clarity, that presence, right? The, the analogy I use for people is like when we used to be in the Marines, I never understood why we would practice something for seven months that we did for two minutes. I never understood. I really, really never understood. And I hated it. I complained for 12 years, right? Now I do it every day. <laughs> because the truth is, is that in those moments now, I don't have to think. Something happens, my body defaults to calm, collected, clear, present. And I think that's a gift that we can give ourselves as human beings every single day that isn't taught in this world. We're taught more scrolling, more distraction, more consumption, more dopamine, which is all just disconnected from ourselves. And so whether we realize it or not, we're not really driving our car down the road of our life. We're more like a passenger in the car that all the advertising and the nuances and the addictions are driving our vehicle. And we're expecting to hit our destination and wondering why it's veering off the road. And so for me, it puts us in the position of awareness and choice. And there's going to be times that you still have anxiety, you still have fear, but you're aware of it versus it's happening to me or I don't know what's going on. And like, that's probably Gary, for me, like of everything that I've done, I call them, uh, Scott Carney calls it the wedge, right? And so like I do cold therapy, I do breath work, right? So I do ice baths every day. And the reason I love ice baths is because no matter what we know, it's going to hurt. You do them every day. It doesn't hurt any less. No matter what, when 33 degree water comes on your body and you're sitting in it for 10 minutes, it hurts. Like it hurts. You breathe through it and you accept it, right? But what you're really doing is you're training your autonomic nervous system that when it's triggered, you don't do anything. You just sit. When it's triggered, you don't respond. When it's triggered, you don't respond. When it's triggered, you're aware and then you choose what to do, right? And that reactivity versus response. Entrepreneurs, Biggest reason I see companies go out of business. Something happened, react, 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 right? I make my students put a 24-hour hold. Like my ad account got shut down. I'm like, great, call me in 24 hours. Don't do anything. They're like, oh, we're going to lose this business sale. I'm like, great, you're not dying, right? They're like, no, I'm like, wait 24 hours, right? And like the ability to hold. And that's what it really gives us. And that pattern interrupt, that wedge to where we practice every single day. The world is going to have triggers. We're going to have stressors. I guarantee we're going to lose businesses. We're going to have ad accounts shut down. We're going to lose things. It's coming. And the more that we practice that, oh, it's coming and it doesn't matter if it's coming, I still get to choose. That's when we win the game because you realize it's just a game. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, take my pawn. Got it. Cool. You know, checkmate next time. And that's the way that like we choose to practice and play. And so another good book, and by the way, I didn't start reading books till three years ago. Now I've read like 440 or something. Uh, It's kind of mind blowing, but The Wedge by Scott Carney talks about how basically we've gone into living in this sympathetic state because of the world, like because of the iPhone, because of, you know, the media, because of the newspaper, because of traffic, right? Like think about it, like it's actually nuts that I'm sitting here talking about being intentional about alone time. Like you do realize like 35 years ago, we by default had three, four hours of alone time a day, right? Like if you didn't have the television on and there wasn't somebody with you, you were doing something by yourself, Mm -hmm. reading a newspaper, no different than reading a book, going for a walk, sitting, realize like we've literally eliminated human from human being in the last, I mean, since really like since 1998, when the internet became a thing, right? And so like the fact that we're even talking about it is mind blowing. But I think the more that we can focus on getting back to human is when we have the power to actually make something different. We have awareness, we have clarity, we have connection, we have self. And and quite frankly, you know this, you've spent years coming up with this work and you can't go anywhere different until you know where you are. And so if we feel like crap, if we're scared, if we're, you know, afraid of what's happening, if we're angry, and then we're consuming content in the world that's not giving us awareness of what it is, we can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. We're just stuck. We're just literally stuck in this, I, I call it, you know, the spin cycle in our brain, right? Your brain is your worst enemy. It knows your fears. It knows your vices. It knows every single thing that it needs to do to keep you safe, comfortable, and stuck. And I was like, so you got to play this game. You got to practice it. And it's just like a muscle. You got to flex it. And for everybody thinking, I've only been doing this for like four years. I still struggle sometimes. Like, I'm like, God, Instagram would be so much more fun right now. Like that thought's feeling a little dirty or dangerous right now, right? And then, you know, the, but it's the awareness of it over and over for me. So that's a, a very long-winded answer to a short question. We're taking a quick break to give you a chance to find clarity in your life instead of just listening. Ready to put an end to your frustration? Ready to unlock the code to your personal and business success? 
I know you can because I have, and I'm giving you my exact system. It's time for you to discover your why, how, and what. Head over to whyinstitute.com and get started. Let's get back to the show. Well, you, you broke it down, and I was trying to write it down, and I bet other people were too. You broke it down, and you said, of all the stuff I've done, I could narrow it down to three things. One was awareness. I can't remember. I think it was awareness, forgiveness, and something else. Or what were the three? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was awareness, uh, awareness, forgiveness, and acceptance. acceptance. I believe are the three that come up for me. Yeah. Like, or was it aloneness? Was it awareness, aloneness, and acceptance? Or an awareness? No, no. No, I think it was, I think it was, um, I think it was awareness, acceptance, something along those lines. I'll have to listen to it again. I will listen to this one again. Um, but, but really like awareness and, and like, if, if anything, awareness, because that's the game, like that's it. Like you have to know that like, oh, I made this recipe and the result didn't come out like I wanted. You have to be aware of that. So you can pull a different lever next time, right? Like I went and ate this and it didn't equal a good feeling. You have to be aware of that. Right. And so it's not something that's talked about enough. We just have to be aware but the most important part is that we have to be aware with empathy and compassion for ourselves, right? You can't be like, you know, like, and like, here's the thing, like you, you can go out to dinner and you can have a food and you can eat dessert. And you're like, oh, I wasn't going to eat dessert. And you can come home. You have two choices. You either celebrate the crap out of that dessert and love every bite of that chocolate cake. And you're like, okay, well, cool. I'm not going to do that again next time. I don't feel good. But what most people do, and this is something we struggle, we come home, we beat ourselves up for like three weeks right? You're not in a monogamous relationship with food. There is no cheating, only choices, right? Like the cake doesn't care, mm-hmm. right? And by the way, the chicken didn't care either, right? Like it's evidence collection. So awareness, you have to be aware, agnostic of the guilt, fault, blame, or shame, right? And then once you're aware, it's acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I chose that. Not that happened. Like nobody put the cake in your mouth. Nobody put the cake in your mouth. And the moment you blame the cake, you're advocating your responsibility, which is feeding the pattern, right? And so when I do say this, Gary, most of the time I break it down into four A's, but it's awareness, then it's action. I mean, it's acceptance, right? Awareness, then acceptance. And like acceptance doesn't mean that you're absolved of the consequences. It just means that you realize you're 100% responsible for 100% of the things that you do. That's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. If I sleep in, I slept in. My alarm didn't turn itself off, right? It didn't be like, I'm going to get George tomorrow. I'm going to turn itself. No, I slept in. I didn't set it, right? And, and man, I have those stories, right? And so it's awareness, then it's exception. Then this is the best part. It's action. The acceptance gives you a gift. That's what puts the starting line in. It shows you where you are, right? It's like, cool. Well, do you want to stay there? Sure, if you want to, but I don't. Right. And so then I take an action and I'm like, take an action in the opposite direction. Right. You're aware that you did it. You've accepted that you've done it. Well, what was the trigger? What was the thing? Cool. Well, what can you do? And like for me, sometimes, like, because I was bulimic, I struggle with food. I would catch myself in the middle of a binge. I'm like, oh, stop. I'm like, what should I do? I'm like, I'll just go for a walk. And I would just go for a walk, like a 10 minute walk. And I took an action in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And then step number four is accountability. I told somebody. Right. I told a friend, I told a partner, I told social media, I told somebody that held me to my greatness, not accepted me for my mediocrity. I love that, man. You know, talking to you, you, you remind me of uh, in, in a mastermind group that I'm part of, there was this guy that was always talking about time compression. Mm-hmm. And for most people, they don't know what you're, when you, if you say time compression, they don't know what you're talking about. And I didn't either at that moment when he was talking about time compression, what the heck are you talking about? And then when he explained it to me, uh, it's, you know, it's essentially with the amount of experience and the veracity with which you attack life, you have condensed 60 years of living into 37 years. So talking to you is like talking to a 60 year old, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. Like, and I tell everybody, you know, you ever seen the matrix, right? And you're like, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. And they like plug the USB stick in. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like the biggest the biggest demise of your existence. If you ever plugged a USB stick into my head, I was like, because you're hearing the synthesized digested version of what I think about 24, seven, 365 at 7 million miles an hour. Yeah. It's great because you can help, you can relate to so many people mm-hmm. uh, because of all the stories that you have and uh, things that you've been through and experiences. And the way you synthesize this is awesome. Yeah. And Gary, what I love, and, and I'm, 
big fan again, like what I love about like what you break down and, and, and this isn't something that I saw, but like when we think about the better way, one of the things I like about the thoughts of like compression, right? You, you read Atomic Habits by James Clear, right? You read a lot of it. I mean, Elon said this, right? He's like, he's like, I can shoot for the moon and it, I can set it as a 10 year goal or I can set it as a six month goal, right? If I set it as a six month goal and I fail, I'm still going to be further than the person who set it as a 10 year goal, yeah. no matter what, right? And like, when we think about it and I think about life, Gary, this, and, and, and just so everybody knows, this came from survival for me, right? Like, I was a heavy opiate addict. Like I was a heavy addict. Like I was addicted to everything, food, distraction, like self-destruction, like all these things. And most of the stuff that I went to, they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this over like the next six months. Like I'm be dead in six months, like six months, my butt, like I'm be dead in six months. What are you talking about? Right. And it's like, we set our paradigm. We set our containers. We set the context. I'm like, why not believe I cannot be bulimic tomorrow? Like, why not? Why not believe I can't just do this? Like, why not believe I can't launch that business tomorrow? Why not believe I can't fix my relationship in this moment or change my diet in this moment? I was like, I'd rather believe it to be true in an absolute, see what works and what doesn't work, and then iterate the rest to make it true. Mm. And like, I, if I, and, and what's nuts to me, Gary, is like, I ask people these questions because most people understand my podcast is called the mind of George. Cause like I needed somewhere to get all this out. It's like plugged into that crazy stuff that's happening up there. And I love my crazy. Right. But if I went to everybody right now and put a thousand people on the street and say, Hey guys, listen, I'm going to give you an iPhone. They're like, cool. I'm like, great. You have two choices. Do you want the first iPhone or the one that came out yesterday? Nobody's going to choose that first iPhone. Right. Mm -hmm. But yet they wouldn't have the one today unless that first one was created. Mm. Love that. And iterated and iterated and iterated and iterated and iterated. And what I learned about myself is that my pursuit of having it looked perfect was also my addiction to staying stuck. Because like, you know, right? Like, I'll make a plan, right? I'll launch that product. And it's like, oh, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Right? Walt Disney broke this down the best. Walt Disney had three separate offices in his building. And I don't care what you think about Disney. I just love this concept, right? And it's an, it's an NLP concept. He had a dreamer office. He had a doer office and he had a critic office, right? And so him and his team, when they went into the dreamer office, there was one rule. You could only dream. You couldn't talk about how it was going to happen. If it was, how it was, if it going to work or not, the entire job was to be in the dreamer office, right? Like I want a ranch with 225,000 acres like Yellowstone, the show my daughter got me addicted to, right? Like I want it. That's me in the dreamer office, right? I don't care if I can do it, not do it. It belongs in that dreamer office. And then I get it out in the dreamer office. And then it's like, okay, cool. Now I need to go to the doer office. Okay. Not the critic office, the doer office, right? Like, can we do that? How would we do that? What steps would it take to get there? How would we get there? What would we do? And then you remove from that and you go to the critic office. And the critic office isn't there to stop it. It's to ask the critical questions. Well, what would get in the way? Can we finance it? Would there be a way? Would this happen? What liabilities are there? And that compartmentalization is what gives you the ability to get crystal clear but it also stops us from getting in that loop over and over and over and over and over again. I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. Because what happens as humans is when we have a thought, we go through all three compartments at the same time. And we basically have Jekyll, Hyde, and Jerry in our brain, right? Like going da, 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 da. And then it just keeps us stuck. It just keeps us stuck. And I was like, so the moment we become aware and we accept it, we take an action forward and then you iterate. And then you iterate and then you iterate. And I was like, so believe it is what you want. But like, none of us are sitting here with a first gen product. None of us are sitting here with a first gen life or a first gen soul or a first gen relationship. If you think that you're still married successfully because you treat your wife the same way you did when you got married, you are grossly lying to yourself and mistaken. Mm-hmm. If you think you're raising your child the same way you did that when it was a one month old baby, you're grossly mistaken. And so if we fall in love with the fact that it's a game and the finish line is the progress and the iteration every day, it actually gives ourselves a permission slip to play and to play harder and to play faster without basically self-holding ourselves in this stuck, right? Like I don't want to cement my feet in anymore. I did that. I used to, I'm an addict. I'm a, no, I'm, I'm not any of those things. Whoever I choose to be in this moment. And in an hour, I might choose to be a lazy bum that sits in the sun and I'm okay with that. 
(laughs) And so like that, that thought process for me, because Gary, like what you said is like, knowing my way is a better way. I used my story to keep me stuck for so long. I became my story rather than being myself. And I experienced that story or that was something I tell like, I'm this, I'm that I did this. I had that. And all I was doing was keeping myself stuck. I wasn't growing. I was romantic about who I was. Right. And the results didn't end well. And I'm like, cool. Like, it's great. You talk about who you were. That's awesome. But you have to use it as a reference to who you want to be. Like future self-journaling, the holistic psychologist, Benjamin Hardy talks about this and personality is impermanent, right? People journal. I'm like, well, you can journal about two things. You can journal about who you are or who you want to be. One of them is going to shift you massively. And it's like, so journal about who you want to be. Talk about it like you get there. Talk about it when you're there, right? Like Gary, if you ever come to my event, which I'll have you, I'd love to have you speak. Um, One of the things I do when I bring the event together for one of my mastermind groups and and I don't prep anybody at any of my events. All they know is to show up, there's breakfast, and then four days, you're mine. I got you, right? No context, right? And so I was like, you guys all love talking about yourself, right? I'm like, cool. I'm like, you're going to go introduce yourself. You're going to go introduce yourself to two people in the room. And I said, you're going to tell them who you are. And I said, but you're going to tell them who you are a year from now in present tense. And so I want you to walk up to them and I want to say, hey, I'm Gary. Hey, I just left my ranch in Montana with 225,000 acres. I walked downstairs. My wife was wearing the tank top of the business. The kids were there. I saw the horses in the backyard. Like it was beautiful. I got in my black, you know, Toyota Prius because I want to save the planet. As I looked at the solar panels over my farm and I drove to the charity to go save 200,000 veterans lives this year. And it just felt good. I had my Americana, like in vivid, explicit detail of like what it looks like, the texture, the taste, the everything a year into the future. You cannot have anything but joy, excitement, or absolute clarity once you're done doing that. That's great. And so I do it in my journal. I do it on video. Like people like, God, why do you do so many videos? I'm like, I'm literally just coaching myself. I'm holding myself accountable. I'm projecting to the world who I want to be. And then this, you know, amazing thing happens we somehow conspire against or with ourselves to create it. And so I I just think it's, there's all these things that we can do, but I think the biggest one is starting. Like when you talk about time compression, it's just accepting that there are no containers unless we make them right. Like an iPhone wasn't a possibility 20 years ago. Like everybody remembers and like Uber will never work. Right. Or like, that's not going to work or nobody. I remember, I remember explicitly because I study marketing advertising. They're like, there will never be a computer in every home. Like never, right? And I'll, Steve Ballmer, who owns the Clippers, I know him because I've worked with them. Also, also famously said when he's the CEO of Microsoft, iPhones will make them a lot of money, but no way will they ever get market control. Right? Oh, so much for that. Famous last words, but these things, like there's so many things that were literally statistically impossible. That can't be done. That can't be done. That can't be done until somebody decided that it could. And so we get to stop letting the world decide what we can be and not be. And we get to decide who it is and how it's done. Mm -hmm. And we have to believe that we have to own it. And then we have to do everything in our power to make that an absolute. And that's the game that we get to play. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, George, I do not want to get off this call without giving you a chance to talk about relationships beat algorithms. So I I, I love the direction we were. We were going, well, I, you and I could talk for days, but we probably will. We probably will. A little bit about relationships beat algorithm because that's fascinating. Yeah. So here's the thing I've never even told the origin story of this. Ready? So this is what happened. So I became a consultant, right? And like I had to fake it till I made it, like you would not believe, right? Nope. They heard me give a keynote and they're like, we want your help. And I'm like, okay, right? And if you guys are listening to this, I just made a funny face. And I was like, I'll fly to your office. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And I was like, what do you want to learn from me? I'm calling people. They're like, just teach them, teach them. Like, no matter what you do, when you get there, just ask them a couple questions and see if you can give an answer. Right. I was like having panic attacks. Right. Like all of that. And my first consulting gig, right. Most of my consulting is one to one to two, one to four, one to five, 78 people because I had an entire team and I basically gave four 12 hour keynotes. Right. Once I was going, I was fine. Right. But I had no idea, no idea. And so then I was like, okay, so I'm answering their questions like, ah, ba-boom, ba-boom. And so I taught for a year of just like dumping everything. I would look at their social, like, you can do it better. You can do it better. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And I realized that through all of it, 
underneath all of it, like I'm talking a hundred companies a year of consulting, I realized that I always focused on one thing. Like everybody felt valuable, whether they gave us their credit card or not. Right. And then that became my marketing law, number one. And so when I started thinking about like, what do I really help companies with? I help companies create customer journeys that hold people accountable to their greatness, whether they pay or not. And at the end of the day, 92% of marketing is word of mouth. The average consumer gives eight to 10 brand recommendations or non-recommendations in a 60 second conversation. And most of the businesses in the worlds that we live in are designed to be transactional. Mm-hmm. And so how do we shift it? And I realized that all I had done from day one, the only reason my food blog was successful that my book worked is I had a rule from day one. I would respond to every comment. I would respond to every email and I would only create something if they asked for it. And somehow I became a seven figure business owner and blah, blah, blah. And it all worked magically. And he got lucky. And I'm like, or I listened and paid attention and I kept some principles. And so I realized that one of the biggest problems in business and marketing is that we live in a world that chases strategies and tactics, right? Give me the dopamine, give me the dopamine, give me the dopamine. But when you schedule back and you go look back 50 years, a hundred years, 200 years, marketing principles are all the same. And my definition of marketing is that marketing is a two-way value-based long-term relationship. Nowhere in there does it say upsell, credit card, average order value, lifetime value, or anything. But when I look at that, what relationship speed algorithms means to me is that we have integrity in what we promise. And if we make the commitment that we're going to help you find your why, that we do everything in our power to do it, and none of it is absolved to you. Because you trusted us with you and your fears and your secrets to help you do it. And I can't blame you that it didn't get done if I didn't do everything in my power to make sure you got it. And that's the way that I applied this principle. So email marketing, customer journeys, paid media, everything. And it's really magical, Gary, because when you actually help somebody achieve what you promised, they somehow magically just become the biggest advocate, the best customer in the world, and they keep going. But I can't see one more time where you add something to your cart and somebody insults your intelligence, like, hey, Gary, you forgot something. And it's like, no, I didn't forget. I left because you suck, like the end, right? And so like I did that for a company. I was like, hey, you didn't forget anything, but you gave me a resource that I can never give back to you, which is time. And for whatever reason today, I didn't meet the mark for you, but I just wanted to give you a gift to say thank you. So here's our 15 best recipes that you can make to accomplish that goal with or without the product, Right. Shocker, we recovered 51% of those sales because it was human-based. It was relationship-based. And so for me, I looked at all of it and I summarized what I did. And I got interviewed on a show and they're like, how would you summarize what you do? And I was so pissed off because for two years, all I heard was the algorithm, the algorithm, the algorithm, the algorithm. I was like, Facebook's broken, Instagram's broken. And once they said that, I added 100,000 fans to my Facebook in six months while it was quote unquote broken. And then someone's like, how'd you do them? Like relationships. And I looked him dead in the eye. And I was like, relationships beat algorithms. And like, that was it. It was that moment. And I was like, that summarizes like what I do. But at the end of the day, these are our mothers, our brothers, our fathers, our sons, our kids, our family on the other side of everything that we do. And we would not be happy if our family walked into a doctor and said, hey, I guarantee you, I'm going to help you lose 30 pounds. And then they left with a meal plan, a recipe and workouts and never heard from them again. We'd lose our crap right? And so we can't do it in the world. And so if we keep our word and realize that our business isn't complete until the customer has achieved the result, not when they've bought the product, we're guaranteed to win. That's where you build billion dollar businesses. Like nobody's sitting out here being like, oh, I love Apple because my phone doesn't work. I don't know how to take photos. No, right? And so that's the way that we play the game. So for me, relationships beat algorithms is out carrying your competition and doing everything in your power to help your customers and non-customers achieve the things that you promised. And of course, applying it on today's day and age principles and where their attention is. Man, that is awesome. I love that. That's got given me a lot to think about. This whole conversation has given me a lot to think about. So, you know, I know we're right up against the the hour here and George, I am so, uh, glad that you joined me today. And and, uh, I've got three pages of notes so far, and I'm going to go back and listen to this again. And I'll probably have about six pages by the time we're done, because uh, you gave us a lot in that hour. And I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Yeah, it was a gift. And uh, for everybody listening, I will thank you. Like I thank everybody. You chose to spend an hour listening to this crazy guy, which is something I can never give back to you. So I just wanted to say thank you for your time. If people are listening and they say, man, I got to get a hold of that guy, what's the way for them to get a hold of you? 
Yeah. So I know you're listening. So I make this really, 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 really easy. So you only have to remember one thing, right? Little NLP here, but my website is really simple. It's the mind of George. So M I N D O F G E O R G E.com. It's a more accurate representation of than my name, but it's www.mindofgeorge.com. Um, I have a podcast called the mind of George show. We do three episodes a week. Um, and we have a Facebook group and my team and my commitment to you is that if you need anything and you get a hold of us, we will help you. So Listen to the podcast, jump in the Facebook group, and uh, we will gladly welcome you to our family. So it's www.mindofgeorge.com, and eventually I'll make a jingle so you can remember it, but I haven't been that creative yet, and I'm not a musician, so we'll get there. (laughs) Man, what a great uh, time that we got to spend together. So thanks again, George. I look forward to staying in in touch, uh, working together, having you come out to work with our group, and and I'm happy to help you in any way that, that I can. So. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. So thank you and uh, keep doing what you do, man. It's an honor. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. Would you like all of your communication to be easier and more productive? Take the essential first step to clarity now at whyinstitute.com. I'll catch you on the next episode. 